Okay, we're going to talk today about what's driving people apart in the pandemic. I'm trying to see if I can get some better light here. And like what I'm doing right now is kind of a great example of justice we make in the pandemic. We work with virtual backgrounds because we want to look professional even though we're working at home. And the understandings we have with people at home is that we're going to use certain rooms at certain times, for example. So what's driving people apart in the pandemic? It's a term that I thought I invented, but it turns out I didn't, called forced intimacy. And forced intimacy is something that happens. Actually, we're forced in this pandemic because of our minimalization of physical social interaction with other people or being social in person. We're forced to be intimate with the people that we're living with. And for those of us who aren't living with anyone, we're forced to be intimate with ourselves. And I think, I dare say, even those of us who are living with others at times are forced to be intimate with ourselves in a way that we're not used to or comfortable. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be forced? It sounds like we're talking about physical abuse or rape or something like that. And it's not that different in some ways because this sense of being forced is that we can't escape this. And when I researched the term forced intimacy, I actually Googled it to see if I had invented it and found out I hadn't. I found out that forced intimacy is something that people who are in wheelchairs experience. And there's a whole movement in, for those who are in wheelchairs in the disabled world uh, about limiting the sense of forced intimacy that these folks experience. And so, I've got a couple of friends who are in wheelchairs, and I was speaking to one today, actually. And I said, so, you know, tell me about forced intimacy. And he said, well, you know, basically, there are times when I can't take my own pants down. And somebody, and it's, you know, someone else does, a stranger, a nurse, my girlfriend. I, I'm having intimacy with people in a way that were I fully ambulatory, I would not choose to. And so forced intimacy is that we are... Because of circumstances, I mean, I suppose he could refuse to have his pants taken down and just sit in his own stuff, right? But because the choice is sit in my own poop or have somebody help me, he's, he feels he is forced by his circumstances to have a relationship on a level of intimacy that he wouldn't normally choose to have a level of intimacy. So when you think about what intimacy, right? Intimacy is a sense of safety. It's a sense of comfort. It's trust. There's communication in intimacy. There's usually history in intimacy, though sometimes we can meet people and feel very intimate with them very quickly, feel very safe with them, feel like we can share with them very quickly. There are people who just have that kind of field around them. There's a sense of calm, and, and you know that they are trustworthy. But forced intimacy means that we are forced to share things with ourselves and with other people that perhaps we felt we were not ready to. And I think that as you're listening to me, you've got to be saying, yeah, yeah, you know, even though I've been married for 20 years, my wife and I have spent more time together in the last eight months than we ever did. And there were times when that was really good. And there are times when we just have to get the hell away from each other. Right? That would be 
that experience of got to get the hell away from each other, that would be being driven by forced intimacy. Or if you're alone, you may be climbing the walls because you're just tired of being in the space of your own thoughts. You know, there's seven parts of us emotionally. And at the top, there's this sense that we're creators and passionate and part of something bigger than us. And at the bottom, there's this sense of alone and victimization and nobody loves me, nobody cares. And in the middle of the, all those two, those two extremes are all the other feelings of anger and uh, plotting and planning and empathy, complete empathy for others and uh, shared victory and joy with others and having a sense of being connected to uh, and then right up to that seventh level. That all exists for us at the same time. And when we're alone, we can often be hanging out in those feelings of sadness and pain and anger and blame. And actually, when we're with people, we can be having that experience too. So when you think about the sense of forced intimacy, you start to get an idea of why marriages are coming apart. And some marriages are being driven together, some couples being together. So what are the couples who are being driven together? What do they have going on that the people who are coming apart do not? Is really the question. And equally, those of you who are on your own, what is it that you're doing successfully that's keeping you in, let's call it higher levels of emotion or more positive, creative levels of emotion rather than hanging out exclusively in destructive levels of emotion, which has their place and purpose in life. And that's a whole other talk. So I'm going to spare you that one for now. I'm just going to plant that seed that all emotion has its place, all emotion has a purpose. So, where do we want to go with this? The negatives of forced intimacy are that we have, pre-pandemic, we had places that we went, groups that we spent time with, friends who met needs that our partner maybe was not equipped to. I have a client who, uh, the husband's an avid sports fan and the wife is not. And so he would go out on Monday nights and possibly Sundays and spend time with his pals, talking football, living football, living the guy dream. And that was great for her because she didn't love football. But post-pandemic, he can't go out with the fellas like he used to and she has become his football buddy. And she's not equipped to do that. And so it's putting a lot of strain on their marriage. This is a very simple example of forced intimacy. It's putting a lot of strain on their relationship. And then other aspects of the relationship is that, let's say he has a job where he's with a lot of people all the time, and she is doing a lot of screen time. And there's, so he comes back from work and wants to talk about his experience at work with all these people he's working with, and she wants to just take some time to recover from being on Zoom for six, seven, eight, nine hours during the day. And they're having trouble. They're not coming at life from the same space. So, and yet they're forced, she's forced to listen to him, or he's forced to keep bottle up and keep it to himself. And that generates a lot of frustration a lot of unmet needs. 
So forced intimacy sets up a dynamic where we're asked to give things we're not ideally equipped to give. And it sets up a dynamic where we're denied needs that we have personally. That's the nature of forced intimacy. And there may be more to it than that, but let's stick with that. And those two, those two dynamics are what's driving breakups in marriages right now. And people, marriages where both people were getting their needs met almost exclusively at work or with their circle of friends or at schools or whatever groups they're in, those people are in some ways suffering the most because they're not getting their needs met. And so they come together and they, they're not equipped to help one another. They don't have the communication. They don't have the basis for really supporting one another through that kind of major change. And that drives, that drives breakups, that drives tension. And they find themselves spending more time separate in the same house than together. And often, because they're not getting, when we're not getting our needs met, when our tank isn't full, when we're not, when we're not feeling cared for, we can't support other people. And that's the other thing, the other thing that drives it is when people aren't exercising, sleeping, eating well, uh, don't feel like they're succeeding in their workspace, don't feel like they're living, fulfilling their purpose in life, that's going to make that tension, that division, even more hardcore. So there's a lot that feeds into tearing these marriages apart. And because there's no outlet other than one another, if they don't have the individual skills to care for themselves and the communication skills to care for one another and to compensate for these changes, they start to come apart instead of coming together. Now, the couples who are coming together, who are growing closer in the pandemic, are couples that have a solid foundation of self-care, their sense of well-being. That's always a requirement. They've got structures for communication. Even if it doesn't meet a need directly, they can talk about, oh, honey, you know what? I really miss the guys and talking to them about football. And you know what? I know you're not one of them. So I'm not going to – I really appreciate that you watch the game with me every now and then and say, wait, you know, way to – in a home run when they're actually making a touchdown and all that stuff that you do. I really love that you do that, but I, I, this isn't working. And maybe they work creatively together to figure out how he can have that or she can have that connection with their friends uh, through Zoom or through texting or whatever. They come up with strategies to fill that gap. It doesn't fill it completely, but it fills it somewhat. So those couples that have strong communication skills and a sense of their own well-being is being met, and they feel like they're on purpose in their lives to some extent. Those couples, they're coming closer together in the pandemic. So if you are one of those couples, you're probably going, yay! But if you're having some trouble, let's talk about how we can, how can we bridge the gap, which I am in this video, between the folks who are having a hard time and the folks who are having a more intimate feeling less forced in their intimacy. The first step, clearly, is you need to work on your sense of well-being. And well-being is broken up into mind, body, and we're going to call it spirit for now. And 
for the sake of this discussion, we're going to keep it very secular for those of you who feel threatened by the idea of a power greater than yourself. So speak in very general terms. And those of you who have a higher power in your life, you can translate. Spirit, in this context, is basically your real, true self. And we're going to define your real, true self here as who you are throughout your life, your best qualities. And your best qualities inevitably are the result of overcoming your worst qualities. So they work, they're hand in hand, right? We can't have best qualities without having worst qualities. We don't become honest people without experiencing the disparity and the misery of being dishonest people, for example. And I, maybe I know something about that. We don't become people of integrity who do what we say without having broken our word. We don't become people who can love ourselves and love others without coming out of that pit of despising ourselves and despising others. We don't become people who can see and walk in other people's shoes until we really embrace all of who we are, bad and good. That's our spirit, and our spirit is all of that. It's the end result of our lives. And I'll spare you the theory on that time doesn't really exist and all that. But there is a part of us that's whole and complete. That's honest and caring and good and empathetic and loving and connected to everything else, whatever that means to you. There's a part of us that exists that is that. And it's the part that knows that good comes out of bad. It's the part that knows that the future is solid and sound. It's the part that knows that even a negative becomes a lesson and a way to live more positively. And that's spirit. Our mind is the thing we create. There's a connection between our spirit and our body and our, our and the world. And so, our, for example, when we're born into our bodies, all we can do is eat what they feed us and poop and cry and smile, maybe we learn to smile, we don't smile right away. You know, all that stuff, the smiling, we learn all that. Like when we first arrive at our body, we're pretty disconnected from it. We can barely even make one finger move, right? If you watch a child develop, first they gain general control of their arms, then they start gaining more specific control of their body. Our mind is the operating system that we develop between our spirit and our body. That's the theory I'm going to put forth. Our mind is what we talk to one another through. Our mind is the operating system between who we are and the world. And we create that mind as we grow up. So we need to take care of our, our spirit. We need to make sure that we're acknowledging that whole and complete part of ourselves that already exists. We need to acknowledge, uh, we need to care for our mind, uh, our mind, which is the operating system, and we care for our body, which is the vehicle with which we move in space and time to the best of our ability. Some of us more than others, some of us less than others. <clears throat> Caring for our body is really basic, right? It needs rest. It needs healthy food. It needs exercise. Pretty simple, pretty basic. So you want to start there. Taking care of our mind is a little more complex. Our mind requires discipline. Uh, a discipline is like a routine. Otherwise, it just goes all over the place. 
our mind is the part that's always chattering to us. If our amygdala, our brain, is part of our mind that drives that conversation. So discipline, we need the discipline to exercise, we need the discipline to eat well, we need the discipline to sleep if we can. We also need the discipline to journal and express our feelings. Uh, we need the discipline to work on gratitude lists. That's about setting our mind right. Our, when we do write a gratitude list, that sets the tone for the day. And there's tons of stuff on this in positive psychology about what you can do for your body, what you can do for your mind. And our spirit is about mindfulness, meditation, and prayer. It's about uh, connection to people that we admire, living or dead. It might be imagining what the greatest, who the greatest, who is the greatest rich heller, and how can I aspire to be him? And so we nurture these three areas of our lives. And when we're nurturing these three areas of our lives, we are 100% better equipped to show up for the other person. If we're not nurturing these three areas of our lives, then we're much more likely to be saying what an idiot they are and how much we hate them because we're going to be feeling bad within ourselves. So the basis is first you have to have a foundation of well-being. And so I've given you like a roadmap. You can explore taking care of your spirit. You can explore taking care of your mind. You can explore taking care of your body. And there's all kinds of stuff where it really it's all three together. And like if you look up David Goggins, who's a, a Navy SEAL, He's got a whole thing about how uh, we can find out that our mind is really far less limited than we think it is by pushing our body. That's his whole thing. Of, I'm going to make my body do stuff it doesn't think. It, my mind doesn't think my body can do, and the body will do it and recover from it. He's like, it's mind altering. It's mind altering. Reading David Goggins, change your whole perspective on yourself. So that's also part of mind is reading and exploring and learning and growing. All right. So we've got this basis for self care. What's the next thing? The next thing is that we need to be having, in that basis for self-care, we're becoming much more aware of what our needs are, and we're less likely to be blaming. We need to have an understanding, though, of our emotional levels that I was talking about a moment ago, these sort of seven levels. On the bottom level, level one is a sort of a sense of victimization and sadness and uh, being alone, and nobody loves me, nobody cares, and there's no way in there. On level two, it's Gosh darn it, I'm sick of being alone, and it's your fault. We're all hanging, we do a lot of hanging out there when we're fighting with ourselves. That's there's a lot of that going on. Level three is I, I know I'm having this feeling of sadness and anger, but I really I need to win. And being angry is just driving my loved one away from me, driving him or her away from me. And so, in order to not get divorced and to have a more intimate relationship, I'm having fun playing with this background. I need to master these feelings because I really want him or her in my life. But it, it doesn't really matter if he or she wins at that point. If they win, it's okay. It's really about you. Level four is, oh my God, I love her so much. I would sacrifice my whole life for her, which is a good place to start empathy. But in the long run, it'll suck you dry, or it'll suck your battery dry. It's a good place to be, though. Just don't want to hang out there. Level five is, I love her and she loves me. What can we do to help one another in this pandemic? So the couples who are succeeding are coming from that place. Couples who are succeeding are saying, she has interests. I'm going to help her with her interests as much as possible, either personally or by guiding her to ways to get that fulfillment, or he has interests, et cetera, et cetera. And out of that comes communication. Out of that comes congruence. And in that space, in this space of self-care, 
awareness of the needs, empathy and awareness of the needs of others is, is, is communication. And so communication is super, super important here. If you want to end this sense of forced intimacy, you need to communicate. I feel like I need to be alone. Sometimes in order to self-care means I need to be alone. I can't be with you all the time. I need to go for a walk by myself. I have a meditation practice. I need this room for myself. I am doing a podcast or a video blog. I need some place to do it so that I don't have to put up a cheesy screen and be alone. I'm expressing a personal frustration. But sometimes, sometimes it means saying, you know what? You should have the organized professional looking room because what you're doing is really important. I can put up a background screen and do my podcast or video blog. This is real life. By the way, in case you're not getting it, I'm just talking real life from my own experience. So the, the relationships that are working have communication. They have, they're, they're clear about what their needs and their values are. They have their eyes on the prize. Where do we want to be at the end of the pandemic? A conversation that couples that are working are having is not, oh, this sucks. Oh, you suck. You're always, you can, why can't you watch football with me? Or why can't I have the office, you know, do my, my, my video blog or my podcast? They're not having that conversation. The conversation they're having is, okay, I value getting my work done. And I value honoring your needs and where do these fit priority-wise and what compromises can I make that don't compromise my values. Those are the conversations they're having. So the way through this sense of forced intimacy if you're a couple is to make sure, number one, that you're taking care of yourself. Number two, that you have some time alone. Number three, and I haven't talked about this, is communication, not just with one another, but with people outside of the house. So use Zoom to connect with other people. Use Zoom to connect with other groups. Or just when you go to the grocery store, have a personal interaction with somebody. When you go to the grocery store, instead of going to the self-checkout, go to the cashier and say, hey, Sheila, because usually they have a name tag, how are you? And they're going to go, oh, pandemic, da, da, da. Or they might go, I'm awesome. And if they go, oh, pandemic, uh, uh, you say, yeah, I know. It can really get me down. But you know what? I think you have the strength to make it through. Start speaking faith into other people. Because when you speak that confidence faith into Sheila, you're speaking it to yourself also. And another tool you can have is called self-talk that comes off of that. Not just communicating with Sheila or your friends or your partner, but Put on your mirror an affirmation of how you want to be for that day. And talk to yourself while you're brushing your teeth or while you're brushing your teeth or while you're shaving or and you, while you're brushing your teeth, you could do it. Or you could just think it. But talk to yourself about what's in the way of that affirmation. Today, I'm really going to give my wife the space she needs to get her work done and feel good about herself. Oh, so what could get in the way is I've got my own needs. What could get in the way is there's a lot, sometimes we have conflicting needs. And then I you know, take that that sort of level one, what could get in the way stuff. Oh, I could never really do that. Maybe get a little piss and vinegar about it. 
but I'm going to do it because she's important to me, and I'm not going to just sit here and be a lump and then move the energy up. All right, so what are some ways that we could balance those needs? You like talking to yourself, brushing your teeth. What are some ways that I can balance those needs today? What are some ways that I can really show up for her? That it's a win for me too. And so you know, you move that energy up in your self-talk. So it starts out with the, the stuff we like to ignore, which is wham, 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 and er, er, er. And from er, 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 it builds up to huh, and oh, and ah, you know, all those different feelings. Talk your way through that. Now, if you need help with this, like if you're really jammed up, maybe you're having trouble connecting to your friends on Zoom, maybe you're just done with them, maybe you're just feeling like you're done with each other, you need to get some outside help. Because here's the deal. If you decide that you're going to go from being a couple to being separate, and particularly if you have children in your life, if you're just done and this is not making sense to you at all, you're still going to need to learn to communicate to get there without blowing your children up. And what I mean by that is when people move from being a couple to being divorced without establishing ways to communicate their feelings to one another, it can be really explosive and tragic for the children and super expensive. That's when you get into this fight of, that's my mom's rocking chair. You can't have that. And you spend $5,000 to get your mom's rocking chair, which really, the value wasn't actually the rocking chair. The value was the memory. And there are all kinds of ways to hold on to that memory without holding on to an object. That's, you're going to need help. Either to stay together, you know, if you're up against it, you're going to need help. Or to come apart, you're going to need help. And I encourage you to reach out to therapists, divorce coaches, relationship coaches. I mean, I have a I work with couples and I work with individual couples who want to work it out and individuals who want to separate who just can't work it out. Work, uh, reach out to pastors, rabbis, uh, imams, whatever, whatever you, whoever is there for you and start to talk it through and think about how can, whatever your, the outcome that you want to accomplish, how can I do it in a way that isn't toxic to my children in particular? Because those are, the, those are the people who really suffer when we go through anger and blame and discomfort. If you want to reach out to me, I am rich at rich in relationship, R-I-C-H at R-I-C-H-I-N-R-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-S-H-I-P. Or you can schedule an appointment with me through this really simple bit.ly link. It's end the fight. B-I-T.L-Y forward slash end the fight. E-N-D-T-H-E-F-I-G-H-T. That's a link that'll take you right to my calendar. And you can schedule a discovery call, which is complimentary and it's just an opportunity for us to get to know each other and see if it's if there's a fit. And you'll walk away with a next step, guaranteed. It will not be a waste of your time. And the next step sometimes is not working with me, by the way. Sometimes people call up and they've got something going on that I'm just not equipped or willing to help them with. It's just not part of my mission. And I direct them to the people who can help them. Like my mission is to make sure that your children come through this as whole and complete as possible. And whether I'm working with you to do that or someone else is working with you to do that really doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is your children. What matters to me is what matters to you. Thank you and have a wonderful day. 
and I hope this has had some meaning and impact. Uh, there'll be a blog post about this. This is not a one-time topic. We're, uh, actually, there's going to be a whole parenting event in the spring. So if you're a parent and you want to learn more, look out for, right now it's being called the Spring Family Success Symposium. And so look out for that. Spring Family Success Symposium. That's going to be a place where you can get a lot more information about the transition we're all going through. 